This, this is the second, second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Max Spitz. It's the holiday season, and that means many different things to different people. For me, it usually means forgetting it's Hanukkah until the first night is already upon me. But no matter what or how you celebrate, the holidays are about family, whether that's family by birth or by choice. This week's story from teller Sadaf Ferdosi explores how family permeates our lives, from the way we look at something as big as a country to something as small as a piece of fruit. Recorded live at Pub 626 in Chicago in October 2019, Second Story is proud to present Cherry Seeds. I found the sour cherries my mother hid, so I wouldn't eat them all at once. Earlier that day, we were surprised to see a scuffed up cardboard box on our porch. This was 21 years ago, when my mom, dad, baby sister, and I all lived together in a small house with a big backyard. My mom, standing at the dining room table, cuts open the box. She cuts through the addresses written in English and through the addresses written in Farsi. She pulls out spices for cooking, saffron, dried dill, zereshk flavors that back then I thought were gross, weird, and boring, but flavors that I now yearn for, wandering the Isles of Jewel. My mamani, my grandma, had sent them because we didn't know if we could go to Iran that year. Back then, like it is today, packages between the U.S. and Iran are usually blocked, so first they're sent to some family in Germany or Canada who then send them to us. My mom pulls out packages of pistachios, pictures of my aunts, uncles, and cousins, and one last thing, all blue the sour cherries. Before I can even say anything, my mom says, no way. (laughs) She tells me to leave so she can hide the cherries. She says, I do not want you to eat them all at once. It's early spring. In the backyard, the air is rich with that fresh mud scent and tinged with the last traces of winter's briskness. The trees, the swing set, and the roof of the house are all softened by the dim blue light of the late afternoon. The backyard is my own world where I do all my imagining. But all I can think about is the Albalu. I think back on the last time we had gone to Iran. I remembered the crystal bowls of Albalu my family had put out just for me. We had gathered all together at my aunt's house and sunlight had streamed in through the lacy curtains and glinted off the crystal bowls, splashing patterns on the walls. At my aunt's house, I had eaten the cherries one by one, relishing them, and then by the handful, staining my teeth purple. I didn't want to waste the tiniest bit of albaloo, so by the time I'd spit out the seeds, they'd come out completely clean. My aunts, uncles, and cousins had all laughed and said they had never seen anyone love albaloo as much as me. I had wanted to say it wasn't just the cherries, it was that we were all together and the warmth of the room, and that the same sunshine that glinted off the crystal was the exact same sun in Michigan. That day, I had felt like a part of every good thing, and every good thing was a part of me. But I didn't know how to say all of that in Farsi. So I just piled my cherry seeds up on a napkin and watched them wither and turn brown. I also remember my amme, my aunt, putting all baloo in the freezer. She had advised me that this keeps them fresher, longer. In the backyard, back in the early spring in the dim blue light of the late afternoon, I know where I'll find the Albaloo. It is June 2019. After nine months of working odd jobs and enduring a marathon of existential stress, 
I finally have a full-time job. Technically, it's an internship, but the hourly rate is more than I've ever been paid in my life, which is the only way I can justify being 28 and an intern. I entirely blame capitalism, and not at all my choice in a liberal arts degree. <laughs> capitalism aside, I'm feeling stable and secure and okay for the first time in months. And if adulthood has taught me anything, it's that all this stability is temporary. Existential stress, an ulcer, and perhaps also a vitamin D deficiency are now inevitably routine occurrences. So I better squeeze in as much happiness as I can especially before I run out of money, and especially before the ice caps melt, whichever comes first. Who knows anymore? <laughs> At my work computer, I look up airplane tickets to Iran. As I scroll through the ticket options, I picture the rows and rows of sun-drenched apartments in Tehran, all those layers of limestone and yellow brick, the Alborz Mountains behind them, made hazy by the distance and the heat. Debating between layovers in Vienna, London, or Dubai, I breathe a sigh of relief that Iran hasn't been on the news a lot lately, that my rare bout of personal stability has perfectly aligned with an unexpected case of political stability. <laughs> I didn't visit Iran in 2017 because of Trump's travel ban, his first one, and then his second one. I didn't go in 2018 because of the whole leaving the nuclear deal, but 2019, 2019 is the year that I go, or so I thought. I imagine my aunts, uncles, cousins, and my mommy waiting for me at the airport like they had when I was three and seven and 12 and 15 and 21 and 25. We grab each other's hands and kiss one cheek, then the other, and then the first one again. A waltz of affection in three-quarter time. And then the news hits. Iran shoots down US drone aircraft. I close out of the tab. Back in Michigan, I sneak to the kitchen. Lance Stu simmers in the pressure cooker for dinner. I am alone. It's risky because I know that as soon as the pressure cooker stops bubbling and starts screaming, my mom will reappear. But I have to know if I'm right. I have to eat some albaloo. I open the freezer. I move aside packets of chicken thighs wrapped in plastic and the butter pecan ice cream Ugh, only my dad eats. And there they are, the albaloo. I am at the edge of two tectonic plates. One is obeying my mother's wishes, and the other is resisting them. Even if I just eat one or two cherries and put the bag exactly as I found it, it will still be a transgression, a breach of my mother's trust. I hear the familiar crack in my mother's knees and I, as she comes closer and closer down the hall. I slam the freezer door shut. With the bag of albaloo clutched tightly in my hand, I run from the kitchen. Back in my bedroom, I eat a couple, and when that taste hits my tongue, I lose control. These sour cherries are dried, and not like the fresh ones in the crystal bowls, but I keep eating and eating, hoping to capture some glimpse, some memory of that last time in Iran. I eat the whole bag of sour cherries. I don't know what to do with the seeds, so I swallow them. <laughs> 2019 is no longer quiet. It is my heart pounding in my ears and anxiety blooming in my stomach. It is the moment when the bubbling of a pressure cooker might turn into a scream. Every time I watch the news, I feel a souring in my belly. Trump orders an attack on an unmanned drone. Iran breaches its limit for uranium enrichment. I call my dad and I ask, is there going to be a war? I hate the way my, breath, my voice comes out, wheedling and feeble. 
It reminds me of when I was 10 in 2001, and I was sitting in the hallway and eavesdropping on the news my dad was watching. This was the day after current events class when we found out Iran was considered an axis of evil country. My dad had come out of his room and I had asked him, is America going to a war with Iran? Back then my father immediately said no, but now he pauses. And that pause is filled with all the pain in the world. No, my dad eventually replies. But how can you be so sure? Should I go to Iran or not? I don't know, Baba Yi, he answers. It's the middle of the night. I sit up in bed. Before I have a chance to react, I throw up some cherry seeds. I run to my dad's room and throw up some more. They're perfectly round without the tiniest bit of cherry left over. My body hadn't digested or absorbed them at all. My dad takes me to the bathroom and I throw up some more. My baby sister starts to cry. Every time I think it's the last time, there's another time. Finally, I'm done and I ask if I can spend the rest of the night in his room. He says yes and we turn around to go back to his room and my mom is standing in the doorway looking at me. She gets really bad headaches and they get worse if she wakes up in the middle of the night. I know she saw the cherry seeds at the foot of my father's bed. I don't think you should go to Iran this year, my sister texts me. I breezily text her back that if I don't go, the fascists win, both of them, the one in Iran and the one in the United States. But my bravado, like most things, is performative. I know this because of my liberal arts degree. <laughs> Iran has been on the news a lot these days. In the US, it's about the ongoing conflict with seizing tankers, the surprise visit at the G7 summit, more tankers, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Turkey. And in other places, the news is about the rising rates of hunger and dwindling supply of medicines in Iran because of the US-imposed sanctions. Donald Trump keeps tweeting nonsense, and now Boris Johnson is involved too. I am at the edge of two tectonic plates. One is booking the airfare, and the other is fear. In the past, our trips to Iran had always been met with some uncertainty, some nervousness at the borders where we enter the US or enter Iran. Most times we'd make it through, no problem. And other times we'd be taken out of line and ask extra questions. Sometimes we'd have our bags searched, and once a man had confiscated a tube of cherry seeds, I had collected as souvenirs. But this time feels different, too uncertain. They ask for phones at the border now, they look at social media, they ask if you've ever been a writer or if you've written anything remotely political. I do not think they would appreciate my answer. Who can write anything anymore that's not political? It's unspoken among my family, but we know that every time we go to Iran, it could be the last time we ever do. When I was younger, I marveled at how everything was so different and yet just the same. But now that I am older, I see the lines in my mamanese face and in my MS face, and my first cousins and second cousins are all taller than me now. We have missed so many births, weddings, and funerals. I feel like I'm running out of time and should book the airfare. The earth shifts. Its changing form made manifest in hurricanes and glacial melts, tropical storms, and crashing tectonic plates. I choose fear, or maybe fear chooses me. The next day, my mom makes my dad count 10 pistachios and give them to me. She says I can only have 10 pistachios a day now because they can't trust me anymore. <laughs> I look at my dad and ask if he still trusts me. My mom says, don't answer her. Just count and make sure she is only getting 10. I take my 10 pistachios and go sit by the big windowsill that looks out into the backyard. 
I crack open my pistachios and suck the salt and saffron off the shells. My throat burns, but I eat all of them anyways. I turn the window's metal handle, and sometimes I pretend it's the wheel of a ship that can take me anywhere, but I don't feel like playing today. The cool breeze from the open window ruffles my hair, and I look out into the backyard, my ocean of green. There are small holes in the window screen, and I drop my pistachio shells in them. I watch them fall in the cold, hard dirt where my dad's mint garden will grow. I wish I had thought about doing this yesterday. Why didn't I just throw the seeds outside? Why did I ever try all blue at all? In 2019, my mom, dad, sister, and I are all different and yet just the same. We've all scattered to our own corners of the United States. My mom is in Vegas with her second husband. My dad has a condo in Irvine. And my sister is trying to make it in Hollywood. We keep telling each other we'll go to Iran together, but plans keep falling through. We keep saying, next time, next time. I had always thought power was a paradox, that by introducing more and more rules, you create more and more ways to break them. If you try to control more and more things, you actually end up introducing more possibilities for resistance. But now I am not so sure. The only thing I seem to know about power is what I understood back then. Power is the division that marks history and distance, politics and pain. And to resist is like having a stomach full of cherry seeds, waiting to see what will happen, wondering when. It's bedtime. My mom comes to sleep with me a little bit each night. We are still mad at each other, but not as much. I read to her and she tells me stories. I rub her head to make the headaches go away and she plays with my hair. In a couple years, we won't be able to fit side by side on my twin bed, but for now I snuggle up to her and I breathe in my most favorite smell. My mom's jasmine perfume and deodorant and sweat all mixed together. The last of my anger falls away. I hug her around the stomach and I think about what my dad said when my mom was pregnant with my sister, that she was a seed growing inside of mommy just like I was. I think about how my mom was also a seed in my mommy too. I feel like a part of every good thing and that every good thing is a part of me. And I drift off to sleep. Power might be power, but still love conquers all. This story was produced by Jenna Myers, curated by Liz Blondell, directed by Matt Ferries, with music and sound design by Mike Benedict. The Second Story Podcast is produced by Max Spitz. Second Story is supported by the MacArthur Fund for Art and Culture at the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, City Arts Grant from the City of Chicago Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, the Leopardo Charitable Foundation, our 2018-2019 season sponsor, Skadden, Arp, Slate, Meeker, and Floam, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Max Spitz, and this... This, this is the Second, Second Story Podcast. Podcast.